0: I plan to go to law school after I graduated, but uh, looks like my folks won't have enough money to put me
1: through college. Well, the world needs ditch diggers, too. Lord, I was called Ditch Digger Man, aiming for a living and doing the best I can. Discovered entrepreneurship, scaling business plans. And I became the CEO, man. Are you ready
2: to be mentored by some of the best minds in entrepreneurship in the world? Then you're listening to the right podcast, Ditch Digger CEO. We're going to be interviewing CEOs and founders who'll be telling their amazing, rags-to-riches stories. These entrepreneurs who dominate the industries they serve will be sharing the secrets to their success. We'll be talking to millionaires and billionaires, many who started with nothing. You're going to be mentored with golden nuggets of shared experiences from my guest whose time is worth thousands and even tens of thousands of dollars per hour. I started in the paving business right out of high school and with no college education, mentorship has been my education of choice. I started over 25 companies in the last 20 years have generated over 1.5 billion in revenues. My guarantee is this, if you listen to Ditch Digger CEO and you wanna be more successful, you will become more successful. The secrets of my success and for many of the world's greatest business leaders will be revealed. Let ditch digger CEO mentor you. Eva, it's great, great to have you today. Can you can you uh, pronounce your full name so we get it all? I don't want to mispronounce
3: anything. Eva Yazari. Yazari. That's Yazari. A cool one. Thank you.
2: All right, Eva. Yeah. So you're so you're a YPOer, um, I see, and uh, engaged in a lot of the YPO stuff. It's a blast, isn't it? It's, it
3: is. It's all consuming in a, in a very, very good way.
2: It really is. If you, uh, you, you, if you get involved and you start to lead in YPO, you, you end up uh, leading a lot of stuff and asked to, you've been asked to lead more, right?
3: That's true. I'm on the executive committee of the Personal Investing Network, and I can already see it coming, but it's, it's fun, and it, you get to meet great people.
2: Yeah, I've gotten involved in the construction network, uh, in, in uh, the real estate network a little bit. And then the, um, the entrepreneurship uh, network a little bit as well, so it's been it's been a lot of fun. People we meet are are just incredible. Um, usually, you know, lead you know, striving to lead the markets they serve, right? And and it's so much fun because you know when you when you can be a totally different industry. Uh, talk, talking to somebody that's again, and we've talked to a lot of them through our podcast. You know, the sandwich guy Jimmy John, our friend, right? Um, you, you listening to him, you can come up with a lot of different things in your own mind for your own industry to to lead as well right I mean when we talk to these people that are leading in all different aspects of business um, it's fun the commonality really that you come to um, you've, you've been serving totally different customers totally different stuff right so it's uh, it's been a blast to be part of YPO for me and you, you've, you couldn't have, you couldn't be in YPO very long because you're like 20 years old so you, you, how long have you been in YPO since
3: 2011.
2: All right, so nine years. All right, so I, I've been involved, on board. I think since two thousand four. Um, it's been a blast. So, uh, all right, Eva. So, uh, you know, we we like to find out about you know where a person, uh, where where you come from culturally, and and what shaped your mind to become the leader you are today, and you know where you are today, and where you're going tomorrow, and you know what what you aspire to to be future. Right. So that's kind of what we want to we want to dive into, and. Uh, if, if, you know, we've, I've, I've uh, seen a lot about, you know, read up on, on you and stuff and heard, you know, heard a lot of your story. It's really cool. But I like, we like to be told by you and, in your way you. and then, and then start a little further back, you know, where you came from with those, with your, with your parents who sounds like we're kind of artists and stuff, right? They're into the, in, into art and all that. Uh, if you could start all the way back to, as a kid, what, sure. what created this, this awesome person that Eve is today?
3: Thank you. That's very kind of you. So, um. Go ahead.
2: go ahead. One more thing, we do have uh, Robbie on the line too. Sorry about that, Robbie. Introduce yourself. Robbie's a leader for us in our, our company. Young, young, uh, aspiring uh, executive. That uh, that's uh, just a just a wealth of uh, uh, knowledge for a young guy as well as very inquisitive. So I like I like the the other you know younger generation to be part of these these uh, Q and A's so that we get more more than my perspective. You So Robbie, introduce yourself, buddy.
0: Yeah. Hey, Eva. Uh, I know we had a chance to chat for a few seconds uh, just before jumping on on the official podcast, but no, we're we're beyond excited to have you today. Uh, ironic, beyond. Uh, and the team that I was actually on just before joining uh, the group of companies that Gary helps own and manage, uh, I was at LinkedIn on our nonprofit team, and uh, oh, wow. so I was specifically helping. Um, Nonprofits across the U.S. and Canada better leverage LinkedIn for hiring, marketing, selling, and learning. Um, and so, your your background interests me uh, definitely. Uh, I can take it to heart a lot. So I'm excited to chat today.
3: Yeah, thank you. That's a that's a really good, I didn't actually know that team existed, so it's really good to know about. Um, so thanks so much for that question uh, about my background. I am a New York City girl. I was born in Manhattan. Um, my parents are from the Midwest, and they moved to New York City in the 1970s because they are working artists, and they wanted to be in a more creative mind space and and also community and so i mean the stories that they told me of filming videos on the new york city subway and blowing up big balloons for for art video installations uh, in in a subway car full of people and things like that are just wild um they also lived in new york at the time where you could have a very, very, very large loft for very little money. So it was a different world then, Um, but I, uh, so yeah, that was my upbringing. I went to Catholic school. Uh, I actually went to a New York City public high school, and then I ended up at Barnard, which is Columbia's all girls school. Um, And I studied mathematics. Uh, I, I think I was, I'm an only child, I was, always very precocious, um, always kind of a part of the conversation with my parents. And um, a couple of things really shaped me in my upbringing. Um, one of them was that my paternal grandfather started a health clinic in Tanzania in the 1950s and moved his entire family um, over to Africa and uh, lived there for over a decade, uh, as well as adopted a young, young daughter whose mother died in childbirth. As well, who's an aunt of mine that lives in the Bay Area and um, has grown her own family, and um, that was something that really shaped my thinking—the possibility of thinking beyond my backyard, so to speak. That being combined with an extremely diverse upbringing in New York City, um, and then there was also a member of my family who was very involved in politics um, and and social justice work, and so that that was a topic of conversation. I mean, I remember talking about the North America Free Trade Agreement at our dinner table when I was a little girl. And so sometimes I thought it was boring, but I definitely got in there. Um, and uh, I think has become one of my core values. Um, but you know, like any like any child, I had a, a good amount of fun and got to do silly <laughs> things growing up. <laughs> so um, that's, that, you know, it's kind of a very, I would say normal urban upbringing. Any, any brothers and sisters? No. Just oh. me.
2: All right. All right. Yeah. Awesome. A lot, lot of attention then.
3: Yes, a lot of attention. And I was treated like an adult. Um, I think my parents were very clear that they wanted to work on their art um, and that they, they decided to have one child for, for a specific purpose. And um, they kind of took me around like I was, Another one of the group. I've seen
2: that before. I had friends of mine with one child, or friends of mine that are uh, the only child. And, and you, you do—they grow up fast, and they, and they mm-hmm. seem, you know, they seem to mature super fast because they, because they are like an adult, right? They're around adults, and they're not, they're, they're not, you know, they don't have a sibling to hang out with all the time. They might be younger, kind of pulling them back or whatever, right? When it, when it comes to maturity, so that's that's interesting, and uh, yeah. and, and and they and they're. they're uh, they were traveling then or they're just like going to fairs or what, you know, when, they, when you say you kind of hung out with them and all that. Can you tell us about that?
3: Yeah, it was mostly a spending time at galleries and openings in New York City um, and with their friends who were also often artists. Um, typically, when you're a working artist, you have another job. And so um, my mother was a graphic designer um, in the old days when everything was done by hand and then transferred over to the computer. And my father started out as an art therapist and became an art teacher. Um, and the communities of people around these types of jobs were also very creative. So they had friends who had a show in Brooklyn and or they had friends who had a opening in Chelsea. And we I would be dragged around to all of these openings. and. Um, it's a big part of my upbringing um really like seeing art and i i had probably you know 10 12 years of my life where i didn't really wasn't really interested in the art world um but when i kind of approached my 20s it really was solidified as like an important part of my life and and i got to expand out my interest um and also Become a, a small collector on my own. But I think because of these early days of being, as I would say, dragged around to openings, and there were never any kids there. And I was always asking for other kids. <laughs> um, but um, I really was able to develop a, a sense of what I like and an aesthetic. Um, and so, you know, even recently, because I now live in Dallas, Texas, going down to Marfa, which is really where Donald Judd. Um, And one of, you know, one of the more kind of famous American artists, uh, established large bodies of work, that feeling that he created, that he also created in New York City, was very, very present for me. So I think there's something got deep um, when it came to the art world. What type type art is that? Uh, So Donald Judd, Donald Judd is a sculptor. Um, Yeah, and he... He works a lot with geometric shapes, um, and uh, typically you'll see his works is kind of like a lot of rectangular shapes and boxes, Um, and in Marfa, he's been able to take warehouses of old uh, World War II prison camps, prisoner of war camps, and just make full installations or a full installation out in kind of the desert with the tumbleweed going by. It's truly incredible.
2: Wow, I'm gonna see that when I go down there next time. So how far is that from Dallas? Ten hours. <laughs> Ten hours. So it's you way- have
3: to fly. Yeah, you can fly to El Paso or or Midland.
2: Okay, that sounds interesting to see. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so so where did that go? And then you're in your 20s. What did you do? Like, uh, you know, you went you went to what, what schools? You know, what schools did you go to? What do, you know, degrees did you search out and get? And what's about yeah. that? Yeah,
3: I started out at Barnard as pre med. Um, Speaking very, very vulnerably, I, um, I actually actively decided to go to a New York City public school and I graduated, um, 14th in my class out of thousands of students, but it was frankly not a quality education. Um, and I say that with a lot of sympathy for those who didn't have additional resources. So my parents, you know, they were artists, but they were, they were really good at curating experiences for me. So, um, for example, When I was in high school, I studied abroad in Budapest in Hungary, and we had an exchange uh, program through the Ronald Lauder Foundation, and I also was a page in the House of Representatives. So, I got to be with other kids from different educational backgrounds, and I think it really helped to elevate my experience, but just at a basic level, I was not prepared for college. So, when I entered the pre-med track, it was extremely competitive, and I'm, I'm actually not a really competitive person. So it, 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 was, it was a bit of a turnoff, and um, I kind of looked at a fork in the road and decided to actually go in a different direction and pursue a degree in mathematics. So I have a degree in math, um, like a, a bachelor's degree in math, and um, briefly thought about going the Ph.D. route, but it is a very solitary pursuit. Um, sure. It is. It's very all day long, focused on math. It's a whole other language. Um, but I think what it really taught me was a, a, a pattern recognition and quantitative training that I brought into the world of finance, which is where I started out my career. So um, it's very funny, uh, a friend of mine, I was involved with a club at Columbia University and a friend of mine in that club came to me one day and she said, oh, my boyfriend works at Lynch in investment banking and they're looking for night investment bankers. Are you interested? Sure. Yeah, I'm interested. You know, I'm, you know, I'm a math major. That sounds, that seems like it might be uh, congruous with finance. And so I applied. Um, I actually met some people that I'm still in touch with today. And um, one of my board members, It was one of my first interviewers and um, got this job and. I was basically making copies uh, and and doing PowerPoint, but um, it kind of opened my eyes to the world of banking. And frankly, I realized that that was not for me. And so um, I kind of leveraged some connections to be able to move into the hedge fund industry um, and and work at a fund of hedge funds, um, which is where I started working when I actually graduated. So I started there while I was in college, was a very was an instru- instrumental member of a very small team that built a fund from two hundred million to five billion and then much when I left they they kind of grew and expanded even beyond the financial crisis. but um, I worked at a fund of hedge funds and was lucky to be assigned the activist hedge fund managers as kind of the group that I was monitoring um, as a part of the investment team and that was really eye opening for me to talk to Carl Icahn across the table or speak to um, Bill Ackman and, you know, have visibility into this world of change and how money can have change. Um, And I think it really influenced me, despite the fact that those managers are not focused on social change, but really helped me think about the ability for money to be more than just financial return.
2: Awesome, awesome. And who are, who are the? Uh, Did you have any uh, mentors, people that you that you loved working for back then, that actually took your, your mind to a different place? In, in that you know, during that during your twenties, let's say.
3: I'm gonna be real, really honest and say that I don't I don't think Wall Street's very good at mentoring women, and mm-hmm. um and so that was a challenge for me. It was something that I was really looking for and seeking out. Um, I think I learned the most, uh, well, I learned the most from the partner of my firm. I mean, he's an entrepreneurial guy, just incredible. And he, everything he did was very entrepreneurial in the world of finance. And I think that that's not always the case. I mean, we see big banks and institutions and they have their processes and procedures and that's kind of the way that they operate, of course, because of regulation and the need to be responsible and things like that. And Greg Heimowitz was very ethical, um, took his role as being a steward of pension capital extremely seriously, but at the same time had a vision for what his firm could be that went beyond, I think, what other fund managers thought about their kind of universe of, of how they could grow and scale. Um, mm-hmm. So in an informal way, he was a mentor to me. Um, but you could imagine like a busy partner. Uh, you don't always get as much time as you would like. Um, but I, I, everything I do now is basically all linked to something that I learned from him um, for the most part. Uh, and then, so, um, I did seek out a lot of mentors, but I think in my, in the second phase or like the, the second life of my career as an impact investor, that's where I really got to know people who were genuinely, um, kind of taking their arm around me and saying, you know, like, here are some things that you might want to, might want to think about or know. And, and frankly, I think YPO has been really good for that as well. I've met some, some people who have really taught me a lot.
2: Awesome. And, and so when did you go from, you know, working within the hedge fund to the next, next phase of, of your career? In
3: 2009, I, um, well, 2008 actually, um, I, you know, watched the market crash and, um, actually was in the transition to, uh, get married and my husband and I were, living in different places and looking at how to combine our lives. And so we decided, I decided to move to Zurich where he was based. Um, he's Iranian and he's British and he was the general counsel of, the, um, of Gate Gourmet, the airline catering business And so, um, at the time. And so I uh, moved to Zurich and then, you know, I thought a lot about what to do. I actually thought about going into the art world. Uh, I interviewed a ton of people that worked in galleries before I left New York. Um, and I even set up like a little art kind of somewhat of an art gallery to help sell my dad's work. Um, and then I also thought about how to use my skills for good. And that's really what sparked interest. And that's really where I wanted to, wanted to focus. Um, but it just was a matter of figuring out how. And When I got to Switzerland, I realized the world of finance is not entrepreneurial. Um, it is templated. It is focused on, you know, privacy and doing things one way. And I genuinely felt that it wasn't a good fit for me. I, I didn't even really interview. I just kind of talked to people that worked in the industry. And I just didn't think it was the right place for, for my mindset to thrive. And so my husband, who man and I looked at each other and we just thought, look, you know, we've got great networks, um, we've got incredible skills. We're so lucky. We have tremendous gratitude for our life and, and, and just what we've accumulated um, in terms of knowledge and, and, and to a certain extent, capital. And so why wait to retire and then do good? Why not start now? And so we decided to set up Beyond Capital in 2009 together and do it in a way where we could bring in our network. So we set it up as, we actually set it up as a nonprofit initially, and now we're in kind of our, our next phase of, of raising a for-profit fund. Um, but that, that, the thinking around the timing was really critical. It was, it was a very active decision to do it early on.
2: And so, I mean, so... Um well, and, and the 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 goals of the of this first company you guys started. T- tell us about that. I mean, it, w- it was nonprofit originally. Tell us why and 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 uh, you know what were your target markets and how were you going to you know how are you going to raise raise capital and then and also um, grow capital for the purpose yeah. of giving.
3: We we always wanted to use money as a force for good, and mm-hmm. we wanted to use skill as a force for good, which is why we called beyond capital beyond capital because we wanted to provide more than money to seed stage entrepreneurs in five countries, India, Kenya, Tanzania, Rwanda, and Uganda. Um, These countries uh, we have kind of networks and family history. As I mentioned on my side, my husband also has family in Kenya. um, And they have, they really are a place where decisions for us, um, you know, a cup of coffee, um, you know, maybe a new roof on our house can really make a difference in a company's ability to grow and scale. And so we set up Beyond Capital as a nonprofit, though, because at that time, there was really a new wave of entrepreneurs that needed additional support. They needed services that could truly ameliorate their business models, such as pro bono legal or you know, pro bono advisory or coaching. They really needed access to better quality services and as a nonprofit we could truly attract that. We could we could do what, what I call ecosystem building and really help to better the companies and the level of, of entrepreneurship so that we could lay a foundation to then go out and raise a for-profit fund. And so what we've done over the past 11 years in the nonprofit structure is build a portfolio of companies that are improving the lives of individuals living at low incomes, but doing it sustainably. They are all businesses. They are all financially sustainable and have social impact or environmental impact baked into their business models. Um, So there really hasn't been any trade off. In fact, one of the companies to give you an example that we funded in India in the eye care space that we thought would be a little bit more concessionary because it it operates in Assam, which is the northeastern region of the country near the the Himalayas. Um, It actually was the business that we doubled our money while improving access to 150,000 lives, uh, to to 150,000 people's access to eye care. Wow, that's Um, awesome. 27% IRR for us. And so I think, I think we really, we really selected our markets um, strategically and it, it ended up paying off for us, um, not in the sense of purely financial return, but also we know that our portfolio is impacting 5.9 million people, including 3.8 million women. And we know that every dollar we invest impacts 13 lives. And again, the thinking around the small decisions that we make here um, in the US or Europe can have such a big impact um, on the places where we are investing. And then overlaying the macroeconomic trends that are really compelling, such as mobile money prevalence. You know, for example, Africa has the highest mobile money penetration in the world, and 900 million Indians are set to go cashless right now. Um, there's also just internet proclivity. And the you know just the kind of access to technology that can help businesses truly grow and scale. We found that really compelling, and most of the companies in our current portfolio have used technology as a way to leverage their business models.
2: So when you so so basically your nonprofit, um, the goal is to be profitable, so your your profits can then go back into nonprofits, right? Supporting these these uh, entrepreneurial endeavors all over the world, the different markets you're in. Is that right?
3: Yeah. So you really can look at us as a, as a venture fund that is evergreen. So actually yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. in that we recycle the capital into the next enterprise, but it is an investment. So we have mostly equity stakes. We've done, you know, convertible equity in the beginning, but, but mostly equity stakes. And we have made some loans to businesses. So we are, we are always interfacing with for-profit enterprises even though we've been a nonprofit, and over the years in addition to funding the operational expenditure ourselves um, as well as putting in some capital on our own we've had a lot of exited entrepreneurs next gen rising gen um, that fund us family foundations as well Um, and then a very fascinating cohort of what we call ambassadors who are professionals that keep a finger on the pulse of impact investing through our work and give us a small donation, $1,500 relative to others, but still a meaningful one, where they get access to an annual program of digital um, digital education around impact investing. And so, our our donor group has really been diversified over the years. And now we are looking to kind of even go farther and raising a $20 million venture fund.
2: So, so, so far, I mean, originally it was you and your husband human human, is, is you is he pronouncing human? Yeah. Human, human, human. Yeah. You, you two originally funded everything and then, and then raised capital and continue to raise capital from how many different, uh, you know, how many different organizations support your nonprofit now? today?
3: We have, we've had a number, a lot of individuals over the years, but um, a good cohort of kind of under 30 larger donors. And then we have over 50 ambassadors in 14 cities. And that's kind of viewed as a membership.
2: So larger donors are what, a million plus or a couple hundred thousand plus or what? what?
3: Yeah, they typically give us about $100,000 a year in a multi-year commitment. Okay. And we also, we also have co-investors that co-invest with us in, in our deals. Um, so typically our donors at a certain level have access to our deal flow. Um, so for example, when we invest $100,000 in, in a young company, um, the, the, the other donors put in perhaps even 100000 to fully match that. That's cool.
2: And, and so they have access to the investments you're, you're diving into. Those are for-profit investments then, from, right? And then, and then the, uh, the original investments hopefully pay off for the nonprofit to grow the nonprofit beyond just the giving of these foundation, these family foundations, and all that. That's absolutely. That's really cool. I love it. Uh, we we have a family foundation as well that, that we started about I think about fifteen years ago. My wife and I started it, and and it's just, you know it's mostly for communities that we we serve in business, um, and and we've we've got some you know great great. Uh, Definitely some great impact we've seen from, from the participation our team has had in, in these, other, these other nonprofits, so it's a lot of fun. But I love, I love uh, you know, the, the sustainability that you're creating within yours, right? Where, you know, ours is money going out, hopefully seeing the results and, and improved, uh, improved in, you know, big impact communities. But, uh, you know, I, I, like, I, you know, I, I love, uh, you know, things that are sustainable, they're constantly growing, so you can keep on, you know, throwing more uh, investment out there, right? So our, our growing is our companies, you know, our, our, our 10 companies, and as we profit, we, we dedicate a certain percent of our profit to the foundation, and then uh, and, and we have a little, an outing every year that raises you know, a little bit of money as well, but otherwise, it's mostly our, our success of our businesses provides success for the foundation, and then we hope we're investing in things that are sustainable in, in you know, communities that we serve but uh, I love, I love what you're doing. It's so cool to think that, you know, you prob- and you're probably, and um, you you have access to some really cool advisors probably as you're getting investors, you're probably uh, surrounding these businesses with awesome inv- advisors they could never normally afford probably too, right?
3: Yeah, that's very true. So we actually have done things like install an interim COO on the ground for two, three weeks into a business um, in rural nice. India. Um, and actually in that same company, we have a Harvard medical trained doctor who's now advising that sure. business during the time of COVID on how to get their consultations into the homes of r- the rural patients because it's, you know, people are terrified to leave their homes um, in, in India and there is a social stigma around COVID as well.
2: Sure. So what, what communities or what, what markets or countries are you focused on right now, uh, mostly?
3: Yeah. Um, we only focus on five countries. It's a big market. So, um, yeah. a big market sizing to invest in India, Kenya, Tanzania, Rwanda, and Uganda. Um, when we look at the number of people that are living in kind of basic and emerging consumer level, um, that's really, that's, definitely over a billion people um, in these regions and will grow over the next 10 years to about 1.7 billion when we account for population growth. Um, so it is, it's is—it's a lot. There's a lot of innovation, but there are actually a lot of synergies. Um, in fact, last week we had a healthcare education company in our portfolio start to establish a presence and um, work in East Africa um, just through one of their relationships. As you may know, there's a very large Indian diaspora in East Africa as well. Um, so there's kind of just a, you know, a cultural transfer of knowledge in many ways. But um, I think there's a, also a similarity in needs um, of kind of the, the needs of people who are living at basic and emerging levels. Um, and, and really, at the end of the day, what we're investing in is access to basic goods and services. So we funded healthcare and agriculture and energy access, uh, as well as banking the unbanked, you know, financial inclusion and gainful employment, um, These and, and also sanitation. These are all sectors that are underserving people who might have a lower budget, but sure. individuals who live under $15 a day have a budget to spend on these basic goods and services. In fact, people who earn less than $4 a day spend over 50% of their budget on basic goods and services. And so there is a market opportunity. It obviously has to be done very carefully with higher volumes because the margins are are thinner um, and really figuring out how to reach consumers that are not always living in densely populated or in urban areas, perhaps more peri-urban or even rural. But um, we've seen companies be successful in, in, in getting down to what we call the last mile.
2: To me, am- it's amazing. Uh, you know, we were in India for about a month uh, last August, my wife and I, my son, and, uh, and I, I couldn't believe the access they had to technology that I never had imagined, right? And, and these people, you know, living uh, on the type of income you're talking about, um, you know, had connectivity that they, they never would have dreamed of, you know six seven years ago I guess right um, not to say that there's so much more that they they need they need to gain right when it comes to connecting with with you know the the goods and services we have and we're, we're blessed to have in our country right but uh, uh, you know it's it's, it's it's such a huge huge need and I, I can't imagine you know how, how you have to think to serve this vast market right and, and, and if if you're the responsible leader I know you are you probably it probably drives you crazy as far as how much bigger you have to get to do what you wanna do, right?
0: Well,
3: I'm a patient leader and I know that uh, progress does take time and success is a process. And so when we raise our $20 million fund, knowing that every dollar we're currently investing impacts 13 lives, we will reach 200 million people. And that is a, that's a number that I'm very going to be okay, very right, proud right. of. Give,
2: give me that number one more time, Eva.
3: So we know that every dollar we invest impacts 13 lives. And so on, on, with our $20 million fund that we're currently raising, um, we expect to reach close to 200 million people. And then there, you know, using business as a force for good is a leverage effect. Um, not only are you providing eye care to somebody who doesn't have access to it in a sustainable business model, but then that allows them to work And their family also is impacted positively by that. Um, So I think that there is, there's a way to kind of be able to see the work scale quite quickly, um, which is really exciting to me. And then just in terms of like, where do we, what do we pick? I get this question a lot, you know, how do you decide what to focus on? Really, this comes down to the fact that we are a venture fund. Our chief investment officer is a venture partner and a venture lawyer. Um, Every member of my investment team has an advanced degree and most of them have MBAs except for me. Um, And really our focus is on deal flow and understanding what we like and what we don't like about companies and really zeroing in on businesses that are run by great teams Unit economics that add up, still care about social impact, um, and are willing to measure it because that's really key. And ultimately, um, kind of create a whole package of a type of company that we think will be legitimate and viable, and have a promise of social impact.
2: Awesome. So I in India when I was in India, like you would probably do, um, I I I called a few YPOs that I knew there when I was when I was going to go there. And, and then uh, from from some of my friends in my forum, had very very strong friends in, in, in India as well. We we're in Bangalore, and uh, it was amazing how many YPO you know uh, YPOs from India called me, after I just did a little reach out to them, uh, flew into town to to meet with me and all that. But but I tell you, there's so much cool entrepreneur entrepreneurism going on there. I mean, we, I met with so many people that were doing really cool things um, way beyond what I'd imagine. There there's a company that. I was, I'm, I'm still kind of interested, I haven't really done a lot with them, but um, they basically have a, a very, very expensive test they can do by, um, by, by shooting the retina, basically. You, you put your, you, you look in this, this little, uh, uh, these lenses, and, and they tell you to look at the, the, the blue box and where's it, you know, kind of like an eye test almost, right? But while you're doing it, it's shooting pictures of your retina, and, and within seconds, it's got a full report of, of, of your chance of diabetes, your chance of uh, all different diseases, and if you have anything currently, right? What's your health currently? And what's your odds of, of uh, I, think, I think it was diabetes was one of the biggest things that it, uh, uh, that, that it, that it really understood. But uh, it, it's, they're, they're trying to get this thing to where it's less than a dollar per test, so that they can get it to the masses in India, because so many of those these people don't have access, as you said before, to, to great healthcare, right? Or or just to understand. And and part of uh, part of the health problem is not knowing if you have something, right? They might be a little sick, but they think it could be dire. or they they can't they can't do a test to understand. So just the testing alone is is uh, you know uplifting if they if they can get if they get through it and their everything's good, right? Which most most of the case probably. Um. So just their just their well being and, and their. Uh, emotional well-being is so much better if they can get tested, you know, to understand what's going on. Because right now they don't go get you – know, they don't get physicals like we do uh, once or twice, once a year or every, every other year or so. So anyway, um, it's a really cool technology and, and super, super fast results um, that they're driving the cost down to. So it's something that you may want to look at for the heck of it because if they, if they can accomplish what they think they are, it could be incredible. Um, there's there's one, one other technology that I've, I'm invested in. A good friend of mine, actually, from Dallas. You ever heard of Gentry Beach? Gentry Beach, he's a YPO there. So yeah. Gentry's a friend of mine. He's on a board with me. and He was a, he was a uh, not a venture guy. He's a, um, uh, he a hedge fund guy. He's a, he a hedge fund guy, sold his business to Ken Griffin out of Chicago. Um, and, and anyway, he uh, I, I became a board member of a nonprofit that I'm on. I, I became good friends with him. And uh, I introduced him to another friend of mine, who in India discovered a technology that's that's curing or improving at least cerebral palsy in a big way, Parkinson's disease in a big way, and many things, uh, uh, many issues of the brain, anything neuron related, right? And so, anyway, uh, Gentry, I introduced him to this product and this company because I was I was trying to help them get into America through the FDA. You know, they're testing in the FDA, and. uh, Gentry not only helped with with knowledge of how we need to do that but he then became the president of this company and and oh, this company is going to cure the lives of so many people it's going to be incredible right and, and I example is my son Nick who has cerebral palsy went from mm-hmm. uh, a D minus student as a freshman sophomore junior to a B minus student and after 30 days in the in, in this uh, uh, in this technology doing this uh, it's called neur- neurocytonics. Um and and uh, Anyway, so this technology uh, is coming to America eventually. They're doing double-blind tests in, uh, in Mexico currently, and uh, it's amazing technology. I, I saw so many unbelievable things. I saw Parkinson's disease uh, minimized from a stage three Parkinson's to a stage one. Um, I saw just crazy stuff going on. I can go on and on, and on with you. On. And, and he's actually one of our podcasts too, the, the, the scientist that is behind this. Um, but bottom line is, it, it's another one that you might look at and say, hey, even invest or not invest, we are going to do some stuff, a bunch of stuff philanthropically to say, you know, this, this, this thing for 30 days is like 50,000 50, bucks, but we're going to take a, a, a percentage of our, of, of our patients will be people that don't have the money to do it, right? And we mm-hmm. want to expand this thing to serve the world in a bigger way. So it's a pretty, pretty cool stuff and, and if you ever want to look at that also, it'd be fun. But I, I can imagine you know, things like this you get thrown at you on a constant basis, right? Really cool yeah. things that can solve so many problems and you have to decide what, you know, what are you going to invest in? Who, who are the te- who's the team uh, that decides, you know, okay, this is a great one. We got to invest in this and raise capital for it or boy, it's a good one but we just you don't have enough, right? Who decides these things? Yeah. So that's got to be a tough thing.
3: Yeah, it is It is tough because there are a lot of really well-intentioned and passionate entrepreneurs that come to the table. Um, we decide as a group, we have, it's myself, my chief investment officer, our director of due diligence, and our director of social impact, along with our investment associate who's also in Bangalore. Um, and so we have a team weekly call where we talk about deal flow we're very lucky also to be underpinned by a few great interns um, that really care about the space and maybe are working in banking but want to kind of like spend a couple hours on this per week and so um we're we are able to see a lot and discuss a lot um but ultimately we decide kind of based on this confluence of factors and and some of it also just relates to the company's ability to scale or you know, the company's ability to reach the market that they say they're going to reach, as well as their, the way that we interact with them and the kind of the feeling of us being in a partner for them in their investment round and in their company um, is also very, very important for us. And we've actually walked away from a few deals at the not necessarily the 11th hour but you know towards the end of the the kind of negotiating process because we have learned some things about about management teams that maybe we felt we wouldn't be the right partner for them um, as a result of, of what we kind of learned about how their their style of getting back to us or you know their whether they're coachable or not and things like that
2: so so when you think about that I look at I look at you know you you've, like you're kind of what you said you, your core values can't be too far off right I mean you, you, you've got to kind of align right and that perfectly probably align with a lot of things what are what are a few core values that you you hold high and that that you believe that the, 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 the people you invest in have to you know be close on or you can coach them to be that to be better and stronger at the core values you really believe in
3: Yeah, I think the main one is just being a conscious leader that and a servant leader. Um, It really comes down to thinking about more than yourself. Like, in my opinion, the Machiavellian leader is really on the out and that leadership style will not get us where we need to be as, as, as a human race on this planet. And so um, we really do look for leaders that kind of are trying to go beyond. Now that is baked into the fact that they are social entrepreneurs, but you can still have people who are driven by significance or ego running social enterprises and how, how we discern that comes down to what I would call the, the difference between abundance and scarcity. And so I do believe that you can kind of see the world through two lenses. One is, you know, maybe more commonly said as the glass half full, but it goes beyond that. And the other is the glass, glass half empty. But I think, you know, I've been lucky to work with an executive coach um, since 2017, and I've, I've learned a lot of this from her, and it is a muscle that you kind of can exercise. Mm-hmm. But really we want to be invested in, entrepreneurs that are abundance mindset abundance that have the abundance mindset that see possibility around them that have hope for change mm-hmm. because hope is a quality that is necessary for leadership and we are seeing that more than ever now in the world that we're living in. and so um, sure all the hard and fast skills they're very easy for us to analyze. Do you have the can you put your model together or your projections? Do they make sense? You know, how far off do we think they are? Are you able to kind of, you know, turn turn everything around? Do you have the right team underneath you? But at the end of the day, I do believe that investing in entrepreneurs that have kind of a more abundant mindset, thinking about what is possible rather than what is not possible and constantly negotiating and fighting mm-hmm. will yield. Greater results
2: I, I love it I mean tell, tell me this I mean with, with what you're doing and you're around you know through your network lots of CEOs and leaders in business um, how do you uh, how do you um, okay for me uh, some of the, one of the best things that happened is we we built a foundation and, and the foundation um, you know was was because we didn't you know we were very uh, very inconsistent on our giving right we gave a lot some years, and some years not a lot. And we had a year that we gave a lot, and we lost 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 a, mo- a lot of money in our businesses, and we gave a lot. Right? And I was like, oh no, you know, we shouldn't have gave that much away. We shouldn't invest that much in community. And, and it was my wife, pretty much, always polling, saying, "Hey, we need to support this. I, I can I, you know, can I support this? i have got on this board. Can I do this?" And I was always, for sure, honey, yeah, whatever you want to do, back. And and you know, a lot of times you had cash in the bank, but that didn't make we we're gonna didn't mean we we're gonna make money for the year. So eventually. Through YPO, actually, my first years in YPO, I learned about, you know, how to, how to manage, you know, in a, corp, a socially responsible way, um, what you do give, right? And, and, and how you can do it consistently. And it was through basically building your own foundation. And we weren't a very big company back then, right? And, uh, but it was the best thing we ever did. Because my wife was always, we're Catholic, and my wife was always, you know, you don't tell people when you give, you know, because I be like, oh, cool, hey, check out what we, what we gave to last week, right? Or check out the difference you made over here. And she's like, Shh, you know, you're not supposed to do that. That's not what we do as Catholics, Christians. You, you don't talk about it. You don't brag about it. And I said, oh, honey, but I love talking about it. So cool, right? And she goes, well, you don't do that. That's just not, okay, well, we learned about corporate social responsibility. And there they tell you, you got to talk about it because you want to you promote these things because you want other people to do the same. And you want your team members to be invested as well, right? So I was like, "Cool, yeah, we can kind of brag about it." And so we changed our, our mentality on on first of all, the organized type of giving we did, right? And second of all, to talk about and be more focused on what we what what our what our um, what, our, what we wanted to invest in, right? The things we thought were the causes we, we really believed in that we could, we could spend time and talents and money on. So either way, it was awesome. And, and since then, we've got amazing team members that are heavily invested um, with their time and heck, some of them, their, their money as well. Um, but but it's, we also have lots of our vendors that get involved in the same causes, right? And, and we've seen a bunch of companies that we've, we've mentored to do their own foundations, whether they're a little two or three million dollar company or they're a two or two or three hundred million dollar company, um, and, and and it's cool because now they're focused. And and what we realize is, if we can invest every year a percentage of our profits, when we have that bad year, all right, we've got a sustainable organization. Now we have that bad year. We've had them since we've do, been doing this, right? And 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 yet we uh, we still have money to give on, on a consistent basis. And, and then we have the great years, and we, we we throw a lot at it, and we have a so it's been awesome. And that it's been a very consistent giving. We're, it's like we don't sweat it. We have a bad year, we don't sweat it. We're still involved in giving, and investing in these in these uh, communities. So it's a it's the best thing that we've done in our business probably. And and I believe the money we spend in this, uh, the money we we invest in this, um, it it pays off fivefold because our, we have better talent in our team that actually care. We have, as you said, servant minded people that love the foundation and love the part of, of the giving part of our organization. So I just think that every business is crazy not to do it. Even if I was, even if we have selfish leaders, which you know we probably don't know a lot if we're friends with with leaders in business, they're probably not selfish, or we probably wouldn't be very good friends with them. But even if you have somebody as selfish as a CEO, right? If they really, if they, if they do it just for the good of making more profit, in my opinion, if they do it right, it's a no-brainer. Every business, in my opinion, should have a philanthropic arm, whether it's a foundation or it's just a, a fund or whatever. Um, can you tell me about your thoughts on that and if you if you're if you've inspired people to do what you do as as, as corporations.
3: Small I hope modern. I've inspired. I hope I hope I have, but I, I think I'm continually doing so. So I also have a podcast and an online magazine and I am writing a book that will come out in the fall called The Good Your Money Can Do. But I'm always looking for the win-win too, Gary. Like it's it's very, very important. Uh, to be able to find the ways to do well and do good at the same time, um, I do really believe in this same kind of values that that you share, which are that if you are giving, there you know giving is kind of a structure for success. And when you look at all of the leaders that you know, maybe we admire. And I, I speak for myself and just say, you know, Warren Buffett and the Gateses, they give way more than they, that, you know, than, than they will actually keep for themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and they are extremely successful in everything that they do. And I see giving as a component of what I would call like a high performance lifestyle. It is an important aspect of being a CEO and being a leader and being a conscious leader um being able to contribute beyond yourself is is a really big part of that that being said i think we need to live we need i think the world needs to move more towards this is not a zero sum game mm-hmm. and so i agree with sharing and inspiring i think that it's very important to set examples for what csr or impact investing can look like and set templates so that others can follow the same at the same time, I also do personally when I give try to make it as anonymous as possible um, because i I am not actually giving for the purpose of having an outcome of recognition mm-hmm. because I don't believe that when I give, it means that you know I'm contributing to a system where somebody else receives, and then you know it's a net effect, really, at the end of the day, I think that. We're in an age where we can see expansion of social justice, social causes, the environment, healing the environment. And um, I would just encourage all leaders to not necessarily think of the world as I give and it takes away from me. Like you're doing, you're giving it no matter what year and what your bottom line is that year. I think that that's an incredible strategy and so inspiring for the change that we need to make in the world.
2: Yeah, I mean, and, and again, you know, as as leaders, as, you know, anybody that does a great job in building business, in my opinion, does it because they love serving somebody, right? I mean, uh, you're serving so many communities and so, so many people and you get a ton out of it. If you didn't, if, if, if you're one that, uh, you know, just did, didn't get a lot out of it, you'd be doing something else. So when I, when I look at business leadership and, and great entrepreneurs right they they usually find a, 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 they have a niche in serving in a community that other people just didn't serve as well right and and those are the people i love to, to, to be around and listen to like yourself where you know you're you're hearing you know a different a different market to be served right and you're very passionate about serving it and you ser- you're serving at the biggest scale you possibly can and and this is what of course you know uh, bill gates has done in his business life that's what 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 so many of a, a, you know, uh, Steve Jobs, I mean, so many people, they figured out, okay, I wanna, I'm, I'm having fun building this product. And man, how many people can I serve? And you know, can I serve 10? Can I serve a 1000? Can I serve a million or a billion, right? And, and the more you can serve, you're, you're going to be rewarded for it, right? And, and financially. And, and those same people are ones in, in, at one point in their lives, or maybe even from the beginning, they're saying, oh, how much? How, how can I serve others now and give away as much as I can? Um, as you're saying, so many of these, these very successful people are giving away most everything they've ever had, um, all for the good of others worldwide or, or community-wide. And so whether it's a, you're a small business or a huge business, I think you're... you're uh, you're fulfilled a lot more when you're giving than getting. And when you think about that, I mean, even if our, our birthdays come around and we get some gifts, it's really awesome that somebody gets, thinks of us, right? But when we can give, it feels a lot better to give somebody something than get something. And and uh, I think that, that feeling is something that we, we all know is true. How do we do it more and more as we become more successful, right? And and uh, I, I, your, your model is one that, gosh, I, I think that so many businesses maybe that don't have Either if they have foundations, could invest in yours, right? They don't have foundations, make yours the one they invest in, because it's uh, it's it's awesome, it's inspiring, and especially Thank especially if, if they could use their gifts, whatever those gifts are, right? Um, for me, it's it's uh, hillbilly dirty businesses. So if I if I was if investing you, you could use me for those. If somebody over over in Tanzania wants to start a paving business, paving uh, dirt roads over there, I'm your guide to come and be the advisor, right? Or there are a lot of dirt roads a lot of dirt roads, right? And so, so either way, I'm, I have my expertise and it's different than many, but, but it's pretty cool when you can take, uh, you can find investors invest that it can also add add value as advisors for you. Um, that sounds sounds like a lot of fun. Um, what, what's your, what's your vision now? Okay. So, um, what, what do you look to be, what do you look to accomplish next five years, 10 years? Um,
3: Well, in the next 10 years, I hope when we speak in 2030, I can tell you that our portfolio reached 200 million people. Um, That's definitely a goal that we've set out and mapped out and are being strategic about. Um, I'm also very excited about the launch of my book because it meets a need that I think oddly has not been met. And to share um, just an informal survey that I've been doing with some of my peers of late, particularly in the moment of the pandemic, I've just been asking you know, executives that have built their businesses or and sold them or been you know, to business school or working in, in finance, what, what are you thinking now? Are you more inclined to think about your money as a force for good? And the answer is yes are you more inclined to think of your skills for good? And the answer is yes. And then do you know where to get started? And the answer is no. And I think if we were to ask that across YPO, we would also get a similar kind of percentage of no's um, and a very high percentage of no's um, that I'm seeing in this informal survey. And so my book really serves to speak to that audience. If you don't know where to get started, but you want to use your money as a force for good, I've created a guidebook and so we'll see where that goes. I mean, maybe I'll get to do Oprah's soul, soul conversations or super soul conversations or something like that. That would be a dream. But, um, ultimately, uh, what's the name of the 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 book going to be? The good your money can do becoming a conscious investor. Good and you know and similarly with my online magazine um it is something i'm looking to grow and scale and obviously obviously i believe success is a process so i'll you know raise the venture fund and launch the book and then kind of take that to the next level but we're really shedding light on impact investing from different angles so for example today we have an we're discussing an article on the restaurant industry and how um there is a tremendous amount of inequality in the restaurant industry and i think you and i gary deeply would be appalled if we sat in a restaurant and actually thought about what the people behind the scenes were earning and how they were being treated. And we kind of know that, you know, they're earning a lower, the minimum wage and getting bonuses. But when the coronavirus pandemic hit, it really exposed the inequality in that system. And So I'm the conscious investor. We're trying to shed light on areas where people can have an impact with their actions. Sure. That's what I like to do.
2: I love it. I love it. This is so awesome. You know, I I would love to follow up, a little bit of follow-up too, if we could get that out of you. Cause I you know, we I, I want I want a little more time with you if I can. If you give that to us in the next anytime. Week or, well, week or two, whatever. Let's figure that out. Cause there's some other things I want to talk to you about that are, I, I that we can we, you and I can engage YPO in. Um, something to do with today's challenge we have, right? With with mm-hmm. our um, you know, the racial divide and, and things that we, that, that we, I, I believe YPO with the leadership we have can help in a big way in this problem. Yes. I've got an idea and, a, and a, basically a format that I'm building in, in the Chicago market that can be built everywhere. And, mm-hmm. and it's basically partnering with, with some black leader, business leadership groups that, I, that, I, mm-hmm. that I'm friends with um, to engage with them through YPO, YPO to, I, I, so I'm, I'm probably a little naive, but I, I, I my my, my success has been exclusively through mentoring with great, with great entrepreneurs from the time I was a kid to who I am today, um, like yourself. I'm learning a lot from you right now, right? And so for me, I, uh, I, I'm very, very conscious of, of uh, aspirational um, leadership and mentoring. And, I, and I, I know in my heart that if we as leaders that, that, that have been blessed with so much can, can just, just give time and share experiences with the people that want it, right? Only if they want it. Whether they're kids and they're 17 years old, or they're adults and they're 25 or 35 years old, right? Um, I'm confident that that you know that the talent we have in YPO, and it, maybe it's only five or 10 percent per market, can do an amazing job helping to inspire entrepreneurship. And I believe entrepreneurship cures many things. I look at I look at a great the great country of Israel that I have visited, you know, so far a couple times and loved it, um, loved it because I see I see so much. Um, uh, hope there, and, and, and so much uh, strength there, in, in their in their drive for great entrepreneurship, entrepreneurship that's cured so many problems. I just think that our our inner cities, our, our urban communities, uh, and uh, can be can be improved. You know, nothing, nothing's ever be perfect, unfortunately, in any of our environment communities, but can be improved drastically if there's more. What you mentioned earlier, hope. Right, if there's more hope and, and, yeah. and more more aspiration and somebody putting an arm around anybody that wants it, right? Anybody that wants it, here's here's a person that, that will help or a couple of people that'll help um to, to, to show you the way when it comes to entrepreneurship. And not just show you the way. If I like what, what who you're about, I'm gonna introduce you to, to to people that I think can help in business and, and, and bring business to you. So anyway. It's, a, it's something I've been talking about for the last few days with a couple leaders in, the, in our community, and I, I think it could be built. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come after you about that as well.
3: Sounds um, good. You should do it. And as Brian Stevenson says, he's a civil rights lawyer that I really admire, we have to get proximate to the challenges. We have to change the narrative. Mm-hmm. We have to have hope, and we have to be uncomfortable a little bit. And I think that, you know, everything you just said, I think, touches on those areas and um, love, would love to be supportive. Absolutely. Okay, so I, I
2: want to say, Robbie, Robbie, you got any questions
0: for our, our all-star here, Eva? Uh, I, <laughs> I do. I have about 40. Uh, yeah, oh. that's transparency. I, I've been driving this whole time, so I've been in and out of traffic, and I didn't feel fully comfortable to, to jump in. Uh, but I do have one today, and, and I'm glad that you – Are willing to offer your time for another interview, Um, but I also kind of felt like a listener today. So I know listeners are going to find a a lot of value in this, and and I personally have so far. Uh, The one person that I do have today is one of my best friends that I worked with while I was at LinkedIn. Actually, decided to to leave LinkedIn after about two years and and start a company called Isusu. Uh, and he the, To my understanding, the ideology of uh, pooling money in Africa as a family uh, and creating that familial wealth to hopefully bring uh, the future generations uh, ultimately to either America or maybe it's another country around the world uh, that ultimately helps leverage generational wealth and grow uh, over time. Uh, and so the way that they do that is they implemented a similar system, actually, through an app and the app pools the money uh, together. And then through that process, they actually uh, grab rental history and provide a credit score for those that currently don't have the ability to access credit so that they can then leverage that to, to grow wealth over time. Uh, and I think that part of the, the idea, for that, idea or for that company came through his time at LinkedIn and And Jeff Wiener uh, obviously constantly speaks about compassionate leadership and the impact that a mission and vision have on a company and and LinkedIn's is to create economic opportunity for every member of the global workforce. And that was a mission and vision that everyone can stand behind. And through that process, you're more motivated because you know that your role isn't just uh, working on LinkedIn's network and helping connect one member to another. It's that you actually have an impact on the bottom line of really humanity. Uh, so, really, the, the question that I have today, and I have plenty more for the future, is when I'm thinking through companies that have been positioned one way or another for the longest period of time now, uh, shifting their their vision of the company and aligning more socially uh, is extremely challenging. And, and I guess I'm interested if you have a, a framework or a methodology around how to go through that brainstorming session as a business. And it sounds like it's directly in line with your book. Uh, but I do think that just aligning the vision of the business so that all decisions are rooted in, uh, in the social impact has a large uh, value to be had. And I guess I'd be interested in your perspective on that.
3: Yeah, I, thank you so much. I, I really um, think that a theory of change can help uh, companies to truly zero in on where they want to have an impact. I think even starting small, so to speak, or with one particular mission is more noble than kind of trying to do everything at once. and so my book is more geared towards people that want to use their money as a force for good rather than business. But through my podcast of interviewing purpose-driven leaders, um, I see, a tremendous amount of just deep intention for in, in the entrepreneurial community that has been ha- using their business as a force for good for decades. And I think it really starts there with that core belief in, you know, one particular area, which can then, you know, be built out. Um, also, you know, maybe looking at some of the things that are more less that are actually more obvious, because those are sometimes the things that we, we, we discount. Um, so for example, what is the local community that you're operating in? What are some, what are some of the core challenges there um, that maybe your business can help to solve? Uh, a friend of mine is a, runs a COVID testing business and they've extended COVID testing at very, very low cost to nonprofit groups um, that work with disadvantaged children in Dallas um and really kind of just went local. Um, And I do think that supporting local is a a very good first step. Um, On top of that, uh, then you can start to be strategic with the business model and the different directions that you might want to go and maybe think about the supply chain and how the supply chain can be more sustainable um, of a of a company. Um, But it sounds like your um, former colleagues' business is also has impact baked into the business model from the start. Um, and that's, you know, of course, a, a great way to see that kind of impact be hand in hand and, and uh, hopefully not need to express a trade-off for one or the other. Um, so there are a number of ways to go about it. And I, honestly, I think the other way, and we're seeing this more and more now, is just change the diversity of the leadership because when there are different voices around the table, there will be different solutions and perspectives and even different problems um, that need to be addressed. And so um, I believe, you know, as the kind of Margaret Mead quote, to never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Um, and I think that bringing that leadership and the boardroom is a really important place to start.
0: Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. We, at yeah. LinkedIn, we had a, a program called dibs, which stood for diversity, inclusion, and belonging. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, and it, it for sure transcended across the entire organization.
2: Awesome. I'll tell you what, uh, I want to, I want to, uh, get more on it. Eva, if we can, maybe another half hour. And I, and I apologize that I'm short on time and I, no I don't worries. know you had a time through. So yeah, if you're okay with that, I want to follow up and, uh, and we'll confuse people. We'll wear something different, and uh, you know, we'll, we'll look a little different. And we'll write. You know, we'll split, split in in two, a two-thirds, a third, maybe if that's okay. But I, I want to. I, be- I, I just. I really want to. I, mean, I, I your, your stories. I I know inspire so many people, and I know you're doing it with your relationships in YPO now, to to think beyond. Um, you know what, what profits could do, not just for themselves, their team, teammates, their investors, their stockholders, but for the community and. And I, I, there's a big subject that I love to talk about when I can. And, and some people, I think, you know change the way they think instead of just writing a check once in a while for things that they, they actually you know, get get engaged in, uh, uh, and, and, and are able to you know, build something sustainable on their own um, or invest in things like you're doing, Eva. So I, I want to talk a little more about it if we could. and uh, good. And, and, and so I, I appreciate your time today. And, and I, I can't wait for your book to come out too. When's it coming out?
3: Should be October. I'm, I'm, I'm in the editing phase and there's a lot that comes after that. So yeah. it's definitely a process, but yes, would love to reconnect. Thank you so much for your time.
2: Thank you, Eva, so much. You're awesome. And I can't wait to meet you sometime as well. Thank you. Be safe.
3: Have a good rest of your day.
2: You too. Bye now. Bye. If you enjoy this show, please share with anyone else you think will find value here. And please go to our website, DitchDiggerCEO.com for show notes, links, video clips, and more nuggets of entrepreneurial wisdom. Don't forget to follow me on social media at DitchDiggerCEO and at Gary Rabine. If you listen to our show and want to become more successful, you will become more successful. Thanks for listening, and we'll
1: see you next week. I can Discovered entrepreneurship Scaling business plans Then I became The CEO man We're blessed to build a business In America Where soldiers fight For our freedom every day Dad's work ethic Was taught from the seed of a Travel truck Rolling down Highway 31 Lord, I was called Ditch Digger Man Aiming for a living and doing the best I can Discovered entrepreneurship Scaling business plans Then I became the CEO man